I was also born at a very young age in Springville, New York, which is just down the road. And uh, I was born a Caucasian white male. I had absolutely nothing to do with that. Uh, the reality of that is, uh, last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, we took our kids, I'm, I'm into cycling, and I like anything to do with bikes, and in the city of Buffalo, there's this project called the Buffalo uh, Book Bike. Uh, project where they they built a cargo bike which idea behind it is in, in the summer uh, there's this bicycle that different people will rotate through and volunteer to use and they'll go into different neighborhoods throughout the summer and deliver bikes it's like a mobile or excuse me deliver books it's like a mobile library they go into these neighborhoods and try to encourage kids to read and give away books and then they you know close up the, the bike and ride their bike into the next neighborhood and do that type of thing so we were there for the big kind of unveiling of this project and what they were going to do this summer and this neat bicycle that they had made for the process. And who's there but Mayor Brown is there at the big unveiling and, and we're all kind of standing around and who does he reach out to but my daughter, Maya, uh, who's uh, just turned four years old and he picks her up and holds her for all of the pictures of what's going on in Buffalo. And to my mind, like, in my mindset, I'm like, please don't pick her up. Like, don't. All, you, all we need is this little white suburban kid in all of these pictures of what's going on in the inner city of Buffalo. Like if he really knew uh, that we you know, aren't from Buffalo, like he might not have picked her up to be part of that. So the mayor's got a few issues going on right now. News Channel 2 just did a, a, a big push, an article, a, a news story on this thing that he's done a lot of talking about the need for all of these businesses that are coming in downtown. Uh, for them to focus, particularly any job that's over $250,000, uh, that they're going to put this push. He's had 210 businesses sign his opportunity pledge, uh, spoken in favor of apprentice programs. So we're going to put minorities and those who are from the city of Buffalo to work. However, he's actually not using uh, a law that's already on the books. In 2006, the law was put on the books that that was going to be mandated in Erie County. And so he's getting himself into some trouble with it. So that law also sets goals for hiring of minorities, women, Buffalo residents on city-funded capital projects. It, it has uh, goals for 25% uh, of minorities to account for the workforce, and that women would be 5% of employees hired by contractors. Uh, currently, the minorities at the account uh, account for only 11.2% of the workforce on those projects that are downtown. And then in Erie County as a whole, uh, minorities only count for 17% of the entire workforce in Erie County. So I'm joking to some extent when I say I was born a white male. Ultimately, that means that here in this region, I'm 80% more likely to walk in and get a job at any construction company if I have similar qualifications to someone who's of a different ethnic background. That's a problem that the mayor has to work with. That's a problem that he's got to fix. Fortunately, I don't have to fix that here this morning. But it's something worth considering. But the problem that he has to solve is not nearly as big, and I want to take that, it's not nearly as significant as really where we are, as I want to set as a baseline for us today. In the same way, we who are called by Christians this morning, we have also been selected, we have also kind of fallen into something, this gift that God has given us, by which we have contributed absolutely nothing. When you hear that this morning, uh, I was born a white male. I had nothing to do with that. This gift that Jesus Christ has given us when he died on the cross for our sins, you had absolutely nothing to do with that. 
not only are you undeserving of this gift, you are actually ill-deserving of this gift. Uh, what do you mean by that? I mean that we have done nothing to merit to receive anything good from God, but we have actually actively opposed God. We have fought against Him. We have belittled Him, striking out against the very one that we need the most. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, you take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're spending some time over the next number of weeks in the book of Ephesians, a series called God's Plan. And, and we're looking at some of these things. God has a big plan. Paul here has been writing to some folks in the Christian church in Ephesus, this area in modern-day Turkey. Any of you from modern-day Turkey here this morning? Just want to give you a shout-out. All right, let's move on. Okay. So Paul writes this letter to them in Ephesians. He says, what do you want to talk about? You know, the people here in Ephesus, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the weather? You want to talk about butterflies, trees? No, let's talk about the most important thing I could possibly share with you while I'm in prison or while I'm in house arrest. I need to talk about Jesus Christ. Let's talk about God. Our time is short. The Almighty God set up this plan, God's plan, and He put at the center and the focus of this plan, He gave the world Jesus Christ. And in that process, He handpicked Christians to be faithful followers of Jesus. He even adopted them, adopted you and adopted me into His family. So God's really great and we're excited about that. But He actually takes time and talks about the people of Ephesus. And that's what we dug into last week, dealing with the last half of chapter 1. Of Really, He's put this challenge out. He's thankful for what He sees in the people there of Ephesus. He's heard some amazing things of how they're putting uh, God's people are putting Him first and how they are uh, spending their time appropriately. He's been praying that the Christians in Ephesus would keep expanding their horizons to get to know God a little bit better every single day. And so chapter 1, we don't have it in the notes, uh, ends in this verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills in it all. He's talking and puts it all together. This is part of the body of who? Jesus Christ. What you need to know as a kind of a baseline here is that this was God's plan from the beginning. God's plan from the beginning, his only plan, was to send Jesus Christ, his only son. And in that, his only plan, sending his son Jesus Christ, his only son, was only the church. That's the plan. So the first point I want to make this morning is this. The flaw in God's plan. The flaw in God's plan. We're doing verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 2. I'm going to explain this as we go. Beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So I want to repeat the statement I made earlier. I want to say this. We were called by Christians by God, have received from Him a gift which we contributed nothing. In fact, Scripture is showing here that we are not only non-deserving of it, we are ill-deserving of it. Point number one in this section is we are dead in trespasses and sins. You may even want to circle that or scratch out and write, I am dead in trespasses and sins. See, not other people, not the people who are sitting on the other side of the aisle, but you, you are dead. 
You see, sometimes we, we get this concept of the problem is always out there. We recognize that there are some people who are bad. Uh, we think that it's someone out there who has the problem. And so what we do is we lock the door to our houses and then we uh, get a security system and so that we make sure that we have that uh, very secure. And then after that, uh, we make sure that we get a dog in case that they break through the, the lock. And then the security system, now you've got a dog to take care of yourself. And then you might have a gun on top of that to make sure of those people out there that might get in and mess with you and with me. Pastor Lonnie is pastor at Casanova Baptist Church and I had lunch with him this week and he was talking about the process of moving there and like how the kids in the neighborhood just kind of walk back and forth and make their way around the neighborhood and he said I grew up in a suburban area I never used to let the kids go anywhere. He said after being here for three years or so now I'm starting to just realize that my kids are going to come and go and that's the way this neighborhood works and that's the way it is. Why? Because he has started to lose the fear of those people. Those people. You need to realize right at the beginning here, it says, you are dead in trespasses and sins. Whatever culture you're in, you tend to look at those people out there and that outside culture as bad. That might be the people on your street, but that might be other nations, other cultures, other societies, other religions. Those are the people who have the problems. It says right here, he puts it as the forefront of this section, you who are dead in trespasses and sins. I might be sitting at a stoplight, and you've done this, sitting at a stoplight and the light turns green and you realize the person in front of you or next to you isn't going yet and it's because they're texting on their phone and you get all mad about it and you say, I can't believe that they're texting on their phone because, and then if any of you know me very well, you realize, and if there's no police out, if thing I used to do is text on the phone. We get so this righteous indignation as if we aren't that. The, the problem is the dysfunction of the world is not out there. It's right here in the mirror when you look at it in the morning. You were dead. The prophet Nathan looked at David in the eye and he said, you are the man. You need to hear that this morning, church. You who were dead. We got to go away uh, for Easter vacation as a family and, and had to be back. I had to be back for Good Friday and for Easter. And so I came back a few days before the rest of my family did. And so I came home and uh, some of you were nice enough to offer some meals and stuff. And so when I got home, I didn't actually have to open the refrigerator because I had a meal waiting from that night and I met someone the next night for dinner. And so I had opened the refrigerator once and I was like, oh, it's not really that cold in there, but I just closed it and walked away. What had ended up happening was maybe Monday or Tuesday of the week that we had been gone, the power had surged and it had shorted out our refrigerator and freezer. And so the uh, quarter of a cow of organic meat that we had bought uh, just a few months ago was in the freezer and for a week had melted. So like there was no more ice in the freezer whatsoever. And so when my wife and family got home, she popped open the freezer and passed out immediately and woke up four hours later to realize that something was significantly wrong. Long story short, we ended up replacing it and, and we lost all that meat. And when we uh, put it on the dolly to roll the old one out, after we cleaned out the entire refrigerator, the entire freezer, uh, we tipped it back and there, be there was, this is disgusting, it, it was, there was blood running out of the refrigerator, out of the bottom of the refrigerator because all that had just seeped through the entire thing. So imagine if you would, if I, I go back and I open that up and I smell this rotting meat, 
And I just think, you know, I, I think we could probably just spice it up. We could put some ketchup or black pepper on it. It's probably not that bad. Something with a little kick to it and it'll just take the edge off of it and make sure that it's not that. And, and, and we in our nature, we are spiritually dead. You are spiritually dead. You are rotting inside. And you may smell okay for a while. You may learn to cover up certain areas in your life. But at the end of the day, you have to come to the areas of religion and areas and manners of our culture that you and I are spiritually dead. Secondly, we are by nature children of wrath. You are by nature children of wrath. You look at that and you say, well... Let's make sure that that's right. Let's, maybe I need to look at a different translation. Like maybe we're children of sadness or maybe we're uh, confused children. No, it says wrath. Because children who deserve only God's wrath. Why? Because what we have done and what I have done is a cosmic treason that we have committed. We have kicked God himself off of the throne and we try to stand in that place and say, this is my spot. I want to stand here. And we're the proudest and most self-sufficient generation who has ever walked on the face of this earth. And yet for all of our progress, uh, the last century was the bloodiest century that has ever happened in mankind. The Bible teaches that as a race, we are not getting better. We are not getting uh, more holistic in what we're doing. We are getting worse. St. Augustine, 1,500 years ago, 1,500 years ago, St. Augustine said that our world marches to the drumbeat of three things. Money, sex, and power. It hasn't changed in 1,500 years and it has gotten worse. We are obsessed. Our world is obsessed with getting more money. And sex, we desire that, that we obey the desires of our body even when it's bad for us, but it's because it's just what we want. Even though it's against design of God's design. Power. We are obsessed as a culture with power and always looking for ways to get more of it. Whatever that means. We want to be the smartest, the best looking, the most religious, or the richest because that gives us power over others. I was sharing with someone over dinner on Friday night. I, I did grow up in a Christian home. I accepted Christ at a young age. And when many of my friends in high school began to go out and start drinking and doing things that were inappropriate, I didn't pull myself away from that. Instead, I actually jumped into that. I'd go, I would go to the same parties. I would be in the same places for the reason of being able to look at them and say, well, I'm not drinking. I'm better than you intentionally with a pharisaical mindset. But then I could walk around the school or walk around that group of people with an attitude that says, just remember that party you were at the other night. I was there and I was better than you then. Just remember that. That's pretty messed up. That's pretty messed up. And that is just as sinful as the behavior that they were exhibiting. The world worships these three things. It gives them the devotion. The world gives them the devotion that we ought to give to God. Ultimately, we need to know that we deserve the wrath of God. I know that some of you don't like to hear that. I know that some of you uh, don't think that that's something that's uh, very culturally relevant or anything like that. But it's the truth. And only by knowing the truth you can ever be set free. We deserve God's wrath. It is blasphemy against God. And we deserve the eternal punishment of hell. Hell is a terrible place. It's offensive. It's a nasty, horrible place. And you and I deserve not one degree less than eternal damnation in hell. 
Some of you are thinking, this message is hopeless. <coughs> uh, you might be thinking, this message is hopeless because he can't speak very well. But that's not actually what I meant when I said that. This message is hopeless. It's like when you turn in your taxes on tax day. It's hopeless. Like you just realize that this is just gone and it's going to disappear. Hopefully some of you did your taxes. But the thing that comes next is the beautiful part of this. The thing that comes next is the beautiful part of this. This is the tipping point in God's plan. So the flaw in God's plan is you. You are the flaw. You are the broken link in the chain. You are the flawed piece and the flawed part of God's plan. However, however, the tipping point is God's plan in this statement, but God, beginning in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He did what? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and He raises us up with Him and seats us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one will boast. This is the tipping point. This is the threshold. This is the moment of critical mass. When you're boiling a pot of water or trying to boil a pot of water, there's a tipping point where it goes from a pot of water to now it's vapor. It's vaporized. There's a tipping point that happens there. A boiling point. Remember our family dog, the first winter that we had her, that she saw snow for the first time. She encountered, she was shocked. She was delighted. She's running around sniffing and then she get the snow up her nose of like this, what is this fluffy substance that is here? It is all around us. It's strange. And then she's whimpering because she can't figure out what to do or how to do it. And she's tiptoeing around and all of that happens. There's a tipping point that has happened because the night before it was 33 degrees. But tonight it's 31 degrees. And that simple change, everything is different. Verse 4 is like the continental divide. The line that runs through the Rocky Mountains. And if one drop of water falls on one side of that divide, then it's gonna, the water is going to make its way all the way to the Pacific Ocean. If it falls on the other side of that continental divide, that little drop of water is going to make its way all the way to the Atlantic Ocean significantly different. You and I were hopelessly on the wrong side of the divide. John Piper says this, Oh, that men would reckon with God when their plight is hopeless. You might be saying, I am dead. There's, there's no hope. There's no hope. You, you might say, I am captive. There's no hope. There's no hope. You might say, I am hellbent, I am doomed, but there is no hope. There's no hope. But read on, it says, but God. These three touch points in this section. First, I want you to notice it's all in the past tense. It's a reference to the work of Jesus. But God did this. First, He made us alive with Christ. He made us alive with Christ. Christ died. He satisfied the curse. Justice was served because he was an innocent man who died a cursed cross on the, on the death on the cross. I can be released from my curse. Because of his death, I can share in his resurrection. Uh, because he died for me, I can live in him. 
was going through my notes this morning at, at a coffee shop and just kind of, I do that Sunday morning, just go through it one more time to make sure I got my thoughts together. And I overheard uh, this little girl and her little brother uh, sitting with their mom and dad. They had come in a jogging stroller and just kind of made their way in and they were just having their kind of morning time. And this little girl is telling her little brother, can you feel your heart beating? And he's like, what? Yeah, what? Can you feel your heart beat? And she was showing him how to put his hand on her. Mom, can you feel your heart beat? Dad, can you feel your heart beating? If you can feel your heart beat, that means you're alive. If you can't feel your heart beat, and the little boy's going, I don't feel the heart beat. What's that mean? He made us alive in Christ. He made us alive in Christ. Secondly, He raised us up with Christ. We were slaves, powerless. We were punishable. But God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. All by Himself, God has taken this action to reverse our condition in sin. In a word, God has done everything, everything necessary in order for you and I to be reconciled with God. He has done everything necessary to save sinners. He has done everything. And He has put us in this place. Thirdly, He has seated us with Christ. Not will seat or one day can seat, but has seated us. In God's eyes, I am already seated with Christ. Christ at the place of honor around God's throne. I have already been seated there. I could not be in a higher place in heaven. I could not be any closer to God. And why am I there? Because of what Christ has done. He has seated us with Christ. Salvation has already been accomplished. It is already mine. And those verses 8 and 9 is really a summary of all of these things. I'll read them to you again. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, lest any man should boast. <coughs> J.D. Greer is a pastor and author. So these are original to him. I just want to give him credit for that. Makes four points based on these two verses. First, the cause of salvation is grace. The cause of salvation is grace. God did it all. If you are saved, it's because God woke you up. He restored you. He, he brought you to your senses and gave you the ability to believe. Secondly, the means of salvation is faith. Think about the pew that you're sitting in right now. You came in this morning. Not any of you remember the act of sitting down. You did not check to see whether that pew was going to hold you or not. You don't remember that. You just have, you're sitting now and somehow you got there. That was an act of faith. And sometimes we get into that position between us and God. The means of salvation is faith. At some point you don't know exactly how it happened, how you got there, but you just, now you're there. You're there. And you trust God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. And the fact that you're sitting there in the presence of God demonstrates that faith. Third, the promise of salvation is God's gift. This was a gift. It's what He started, and so therefore He will finish it. It's what God has set out at the beginning of time to do, and He will finish it. It is His plan. It is not of your doing. And then lastly, the effects of salvation is good works. 
the effects of salvation are good works. We are not saved by good works. We are validated by good works. We are saved by faith, and the effect is good works. We are saved by faith, and the effect is good works. It is not by good works that we are saved. That's what Scripture is teaching us here. It is the effect. When, when you are saved by faith, when you sit in that spot, the overflow of your heart is good works. And whether you do it in the name of Christ or someone else does it in the name of good works, good works are just that. They are good. They are pleasant. They are wonderful. But the overflow of being a follower of Christ and having faith in Jesus Christ is good works. It is not what gets you there. Lastly, the masterpiece of God's plan. The masterpiece of God's plan. Verse 10. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, or masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I've been to uh, Washington, D.C. Many of you have to see the Vietnam Memorial. And uh, I've, I've learned, I didn't know this, I just researched this this week, the, the designer of that, the person who won the award to be allowed to, to, to put together the Vietnam Wall, uh, was a 21-year-old. And she designed the whole thing. There's, and many, you might know this, I didn't realize it, there's some controversy with that because it was too simple. And it was too, it wasn't ornate enough. And, it was, and just having all these names written was too simple. I didn't like that. So later they commissioned the third place winner uh, to, to put together uh, this statue that is, that is known as the Three Soldiers. If you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Those three soldiers kind of are off to the side looking at the memorial. If you've ever been there and you look at what I'm going to call a masterpiece, you are drawn into every detail that that person took when he was creating that statue. When you, you can see the stitching in, in the uh, fabric of the clothes that this bronze statue of, the, of each of the men, you can see the look in their eyes as they're looking painfully over at that wall. And there's all the details of their uniforms that are matching. Of, of One is a Marine, one is an Army uh, guy, and they have different uniforms because of their different, uh, the different things that they would carry, their canteens. All those details are put in perfection this masterpiece. All that effort. All of that work. Now if God Himself is going to put all of His effort and all of His work into one thing, what is His masterpiece? To what end is all that we've talked about? It's to create the church. The church is His masterpiece. This is what it's supposed to be. Uh, that, that there are individual believers then coming together and being fashioned together in God's work of art for display to the world. This is my display. This is my masterpiece. The work of God. It's present and it's future. Because it's present that the church walks. It's happening right now. But as we walk forward, we walk forward in this. This is the masterpiece of who God is. And those who are doing good works, they are living out His will and His purposes. They are reflecting His character. They are extending His love to the world. They are walking like a believer and being the church. The display is put out for the future, for all to see. He will reflect for eternity the wonder and the glory of God as a testimony of His goodness. Of who He is and what His people want to do. His power and His fulfillment in you and in me. God has implemented this plan by taking broken, frazzled, 
messed up people like you, bringing us together and manifesting himself to the world through his church. This is an act of grace which flows from the character of God, his kind, merciful character of who he is. God's powerful enough to do whatever he wants, to display things however he wants, to make truth come alive however he wants, but this is how he did it. He allows this blessing to benefit both you and I and the world when they see it reflected to his glory. I wish that we could grasp that, the depth of that, the knowledge of that, that this is God's plan. This is his masterpiece, that we would walk forward in good works for living for him that he set out for us from before the world even existed, all for the glory of God. We glorify God by making disciples of all nations. This is, this is it. This is the masterpiece. As broken and damaged as it is, this is God's plan. So I need to ask two questions. First, have you accepted God's free gift, Jesus Christ? Until you accept that free gift of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the only part that you play in this at the end of the day. Do you understand that? The gift is there. Until you accept that, all the water running off of that ridge is running in the wrong direction. And you can do as many works as you want, but that continental divide says you are on the wrong side. You can work as close as you can, but you will always be on the wrong side of that great divide. The tipping point, Jesus Christ, puts you on the other side. And then those great works and the, the effort that you put behind it is now there to glorify the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you accepted God's free gift? Secondly, are you part of God's greatest work of art? John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you do what? Love one another. There's no greater way to demonstrate being a disciple of Christ. There's no greater way to show who Jesus is than by loving one another. Do you love being together? Is that demonstrated in the conversations you have with someone who's not part of the body of Christ here? Do you love being together? Do you love serving together? Do you love being part of something bigger? And is that demonstrated with the people that are in your neighborhood, in your circle? They say, I know that person loves being part of their church and they love serving because it has an impact that is more lasting than anything that I'm doing. Do you love giving to what God is doing sacrificially with your time, your talent, and your treasure? Saying, you know what, I know that there are other ways that I could spend my Thursday night. There are other ways that I could spend uh, my Tuesday morning twice a month. There are other ways that I could spend my Sunday mornings, but this is the way that I want to spend it. When you got your taxes prepared and they look and they see, wait a minute, there's, there's 500, there's $1,000 a month going out to this church and you're saying, I love doing that. There's no greater way to show the world that you are my disciples, Jesus says, than that you would love one another. That you would love giving, you would love being part of what God is up to. There is no greater way to demonstrate that. So I think it's fitting this morning as kind of a follow-up or an action to, to this. We do have some who are becoming members of the church this morning. So Keith and others, as you are coming up, where are the OKAs? Come on up. I'm going to close this in prayer. We're going to invite them to be part of the membership of this church.
Because it's a beautiful thing to see them part of God's greatest work of art, His masterpiece, this church. His church. Dear Lord, we love You. We thank You. We pray that Your Word has come alive this morning. We thank You for the words of Paul. We pray that it would be uh, piercing today of what it really means to live out a life for You. Lord, let us get a hold of the fact that we have really nothing to do with this except accepting this gift. If there's anyone here this morning that needs to do that, Lord, I pray that when I'm in the back afterwards that they would have that opportunity and come and talk how they could accept you. Lord, but everyone else here that's been here for years, Lord, let them feel empowered by the fact that you've got it under control. And all things, all things come together because of who you are, Lord. We celebrate this membership this morning, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll hand it over to Keith, and after that, the band is going to come. We have a upbeat, fun song to be able to sing together. I pray that you would join in with that and sing with enthusiasm. As I like to say, we're not looking for good singing. We're looking for loud, obnoxious, gut-wrenching singing this morning to celebrate what we've got here today. Thanks. Go ahead, Keith. Good morning. Um, Mike and Nicole Okie are, uh, are uh, here with me this morning and uh, have desired to become members at Randall Baptist. And one of the things that we get to do, one of the real fun things we get to do as elders uh, at Randall is to um, hear the faith stories of, of those that have an interest uh, and a desire to uh, come and join the body. And uh, we, we have membership classes periodically. They usually run for about three weeks. I think we're going to be starting one uh, in the near future. And so if there's anyone that uh, has an interest in those, one of the things it does is it just gives you an idea of uh, what we are doing here at Randall, how we are structured, who we are, our statement of faith and the bylaws, and to go through those things. And if you have any interest in that, we'd love to have you join us in that next class. So please uh, feel free to see me or see Milo or Bill Hind, who helps us run those classes periodically. Uh, you can, um, we can get you in. But uh, Mike and Nicole have gone through that, and um, we, we believe, as Milo has spoken this morning, that when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you automatically become part of God's church, the worldwide church. Uh, all those that name the name and trust Christ as their Savior. But God has instituted this wonderful thing called, this wonderful body called the local church. We see that in Jerusalem, there's the church in Jerusalem. And in Acts, you also see, mentioned the church in Damascus. And there's in Antioch, there, there were the Bereans that gathered together. And then the churches in Asia Minor and beyond. And God's design is that his people would gather together and be a part of a local expression of the worldwide body of Christ, a local family expression. The church is called a family. It's called uh, a body. All these different metaphors that the New Testament has, that's what Randall is. And um, uh, so we, we as a church, uh, acting as a family, are then able to proclaim the glory of God to a world that needs to hear him. And so Mike and, and Nicole... Uh, and they've got two children, Phoebe and Simon, and uh, they're downstairs right now. And so they uh, are, are going to uh, join us uh, as part of this local expression of the body of Christ. Uh, as someone comes on to be a member, there are just a few requirements that we, we ask. One is that you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And in the membership class, we go through those faith stories. 
Uh, two, that you are baptized by immersion. Three, that you agree with our statement of faith and uh, with our bylaws. That's four. Five, you complete the membership class, which is, as I said, just a three, four-week thing. And then uh, lastly, that you agree with the church covenant. I'm going to read a, a portion of the church covenant now, and we'll ask Mike and Nicole to agree with it, um, and then we'll, we'll move from there. As a fellowship of the believers being built up in the faith and equipped for service, we covenant to work together in the power of the Holy Spirit to glorify God by making committed followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. To accomplish this task, we further covenant as follows. We will celebrate the person of God, joyfully and thankfully worshiping God for who he is, what he has done for us, and what he is continually doing for us. We will cultivate our personal growth in Christ, striving together to be a holy people of God. We will care for one another in Christ, walking together in Christian love. We will communicate the gospel to the world, living lives befitting those of ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mike and Nicole, if you agree with it, please say we will. We will. Okay, great. So based on the fact that Mike and Nicole have um, said they will and they've met the requirements of membership, it comes as a recommendation from the elders, uh, which does not need a second, but uh, it comes from a recommendation from us that uh, they be accepted to membership. So members, all those that agree by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Extensions? Carried. Welcome to the body. Okay, we'll have announcements after the next song. You can go. I just stand and join us for our final song today. Um, some of you may know this song. It'll probably be new to some of you as well, but it's it's pretty basic. Um, it repeat, repeats a few times. But the, what I love about this song is it just speaks a basic truth for us that we, as children of God, we've been handed the power of Christ in our lives. That means a lot. Because we all, none of us are perfect. And we all have issues, hurts, habits, and hang-ups, as it calls it, Celebrate Recovery talks about it. But Christ has the power to 